Caleb Gleason joins me today in person. Caleb is a Christian college graduate, bachelor's in theology, and uh, summa cum laude, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and humble as can be about it. And he's working on his master's in, uh, what do you, what's your master's in? Theological studies. Theological studies. And you're going to have that complete in May. Lord willing, Lord, <laughs> I have to finish up a um, a thesis. Ah, a thesis, a master's thesis, right? And you are the youth pastor here, phenomenal teacher and preacher, and my brother. So it's good to have you on, man. Doing all right? Oh yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited about uh, what God is doing here at our local church through you and our youth group. Uh, we got a phenomenal, phenomenal youth group. You guys are having great services on Wednesday nights. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. God has just been moving and um, all the students seem to love God and love each other. So that's, I can't really ask for much more than that. I've noticed on Wednesdays, a lot of times the adult worship service will get out and I won't see any youth. And then about 20 or 30 minutes later, they all come down. You can tell they've been crying mm. in the presence of God. Yeah. So that's uh, that's awesome, and um, I'm just really happy that that's happening because if that was my vision all along as a youth pastor, and I'm glad that Vindicated Student Ministries uh, lives on. So it lives on. Yeah, young people are hum- hungry for God. They are. You know, last night um, I I had like a, I'm just messing around with some branding things for call what I call our Wednesday night services but I had a student ask me he's like what's that up there on the screen I was like I'm just experimenting with what to call in our service he's like oh I thought we were doing like a like a game night or something I was like would you rather have been a game night than a service he's like no he's like I want the word 16 year old kid talking about how he doesn't want a game night he wants the word of course you know game nights have their place but he wanted uh he wanted the word of God you wanted to be in service. Yeah, because it's a real experience. Mm-hmm. Because so much of what we have is so fake mm-hmm. and so artificial. Everything is man-made. You know, I think that's a, a cry of, um, especially teenagers these days, is something authentic and real. Um, I'm thinking strictly in like video because a lot of stuff is really produced, but it seems like students these days just like something that's really raw like a lot of the big um influencers that i'm seeing that teenagers like it there's not overproduced it's not this huge production budget it's just somebody with their phone recording themselves or you know recording themselves doing music and they just want something real you know that doesn't seem like it's it's superficial and so i think that comes through with god too they want something real a real experience with god Mm mm-hmm yeah, something that obviously somebody who's put a lot of thought into their creation, something catchy, something hopefully with substance. Nowadays, though, a lot of, the less substance it has, the more popular it, it is. Right. But if you're hungry for something spiritual, it's got to have substance. It's got to have meaning. But something that I guess doesn't have that... Um, I guess that production ethic that's been expected for so long, but 
I've just found that you really can create something with just a, a pad of paper and a pen mm-hmm. and a camera and a couple lights and reach a lot of people with that. Yeah, that and with music, um, you know, some of the top, um, as far as worship music goes, groups right now, their music is is not very, it's produced, but it's not overproduced. It's, it's more of a live setting how the music comes through and I think it's a cry of you know Gen Z not wanting something that's fake they want something that's real you can you feel like you're in the room when you're listening to the music like you feel like you're there whereas before you know it feels like the 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 music feels so separated from reality because it's so produced mm-hmm. but nowadays it's like it's just they're they're in a stu- they're in a studio but it's a live you know kind of feel and I think that really connects with young people, that realness of it all. Yeah. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying. A little more of a natural sound. Mm-hmm. And I connect with that. That's what they were doing a lot in the 90s. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the concept of, of a garage band mm-hmm. kind of, well, I mean, that's it's been around forever, but the 90s. Grunge is what we called it. Grunge rock had a... I mean, it was a loud and a lot of noise, and it it's an acquired <laughs> taste yeah. for people yeah. to like, but a lot of them did not really like that um, polished sound and noise. I've noticed that with preaching. I feel like the more prepared I am, the less happens. Right. <laughs> but uh, that unscripted, natural flow of words, it connects with the audience better. Mm-hmm. So I wish I wish college theses yeah could be like that. I wish I could just go up and like talk my thesis. That'd be a lot easier. Mm-hmm. When I have to edit it. Yeah. Well, the real uh, a live church service, a live worship service, you're you're not going to be able to get that through your device. Uh, to be around real human beings in a real atmosphere in a in a room. With anointed worship, great preaching, and a powerful opportunity to experience the Lord through an altar call. There's nothing like that. Mm. No, it's real. It's experience with God. The Bible says God loves a cheerful giver. Take God's love to another level in your life by giving to the ministry of this podcast. Give an offering through Cash App, PayPal, or Venmo at Justin C. Gleason. Thanks and be blessed. I remember being in college and one of my teachers was saying um, just the challenges of our culture reaching you know our our generation and he was saying Pentecost offers such a um, it, it's it's not experientially based but we we believe in experience with God based on the Word of God obviously and he's saying what an opportunity we have to reach you know this world that's desperately wanting an experience, something real. And we offer that, you know, a real encounter with God every single time the doors are open in this, in the church. Yeah. Cause it's unlike anything you've ever felt before, you know, a roller coaster ride. I still remember my first time to ride on a roller coaster world of fun. And I felt like such a big kid you know, but it was, yeah, the, the, you know, the speed of it, the up and down, the upside down, everything. 
in a ride where you don't normally move like that in just walking, running, going up and down stairs, an elevator, sitting down in a chair, a couch, mm-hmm. moving in a different way. It's an experience I'll never forget, but having an experience with God puts you in touch with the divine mm-hmm. beyond the natural world. And that's why it's unforgettable. Yeah. I remember you talking about that somewhere the other day. You're saying how um, preachers specifically, ministers, uh, we live in the in the heavens, in the divine um, constantly. And not everybody does that. And the challenge is to bring the divine to people. You know, of course, you'll have people that are with you and that live in the spirit. But the challenge is to bring the divine to the people that are don't always walk walk in the spirit, and that's the challenge. <clears throat> the challenge of a um, of the ministry is to bring heaven down. Charlie Mahaney preached a message called "Tear Heaven Open." Whoa! Yeah, I found it on YouTube. Tear heaven open. Tear heaven open. Yeah, it was from like the eighties, maybe. <laughs> what? What's what's the content of that I don't it's even, a catchy title tear I don't I don't even remember I just remember the title tear heaven open I need to go watch it again or listen to it <laughs> tear heaven open yeah it was like a revivalistic sermon breaking up the fallow ground wherever he was well he knew how to tear heaven open yeah I heard a story and I've heard it from different people on different occasions so it's authenticated because all the witnesses line up Brother Mahaney was a, cha- a prison chaplain. He was he went into a prison, and he was one God, apostolic Jesus name, preacher. And then there were Trinitarians in their preaching. The Trinitarians had more, already a more of an established presence, um, more well-known. And so whenever they spoke all the inmates wanted to get baptized and they baptized him in the name of the father, the son and the Holy spirit. Mm-hmm. You know, so the, the, there was one other, oh, there was only one guy that wanted to be baptized in Jesus name, uh, by Reverend Mahaney. And it was this guy who was, uh, shackled. He was on, uh, I figure what you call it. He was in solitary confinement. So after all these guys had gotten baptized, they're in the pool at the prison. This guy comes out of solitary confinement, and everybody's like terrified of him. They know he's uh, just insane. They did not even take the chains off of him. Mm. But he said, I want the Jesus name guy to baptize me. So he they get him down in the water. He's still got his chains on. Brother Mahaney's down there. He says, all right, convict, say I call on the Lord Jesus. He goes, I call on the Lord Jesus. To wash away my sins, to wash away my sins. He said, because you've repented, I now baptize you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. Mm-hmm. And the Mahaney put him down when he brought, in Jesus' name, and when he brought him up, those chains fell off of him. <laughs> wow. This slipped right off. <laughs> and wow. all of the inmates saw that, and that was a sign to them that Jesus' name is real. And wow. so they all got rebaptized in <laughs> Jesus' name. That's terror in heaven open that reminds me of like the illustrations that the prophets would do to to illustrate a spiritual reality you know jeremiah and isaiah all the stuff that god would have them do you know 
Um, yeah. It remind that reminds me of, you know, a, a physical uh, manifestation of something that speaks to spiritual reality that's happening. Seems like that's what it was. Yeah. Like the uh, God had Jeremiah bury a linen sash mm-hmm. up in the northern border. And then he dug it up. Yeah. And he didn't he preach on the temple with a yoke on his neck or something like that? Sounds about right. Yeah. So yeah Jeremiah had a yoke. Isaiah preached naked throughout Egypt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> didn't Ezekiel do some suspect things with... He had to cook something or something. <laughs> yes, some excrement. Yeah. It's a true story. Well, that's Dark Times call for desperate examples. Yeah. Or how did you describe that? Illustrative. What was the term you used it? It's like a physical representation of a spiritual reality. Yes. Physical representation of a spiritual reality. It's kind of like communion is, is that, you know, it, there's, the el- the physical elements mean something. Ah, yeah. Physical elements mean something, but not a lot. Mm-hmm. It's really to represent the spiritual um, remembrance of Christ's body and blood. I heard, or I read a quote that said, um, "Communion is a sermon for the eyes." You know, a lot of sermons, Whoa. a lot of sermons are for the ears and the spirit. But I think God gave us communion to help our faith. You know, of course, we don't take it to an extreme as other traditions have done, but um, I do think God gave us that to show us some something with our eyes. You know, we live by faith. We don't have much to see, but he did give us that to help us. I think the same thing with baptism, why he gave us baptism was, ah, was to, see, to see, again, it's a physical representation of a spiritual reality of the old man being buried with Christ and being risen again. Um, and you know, it's, it's salvific baptism is, um, so I, I truly think he gave us that to help our faith. Cause when I see somebody get baptized, it helps my faith, you know, seeing God working literally in someone's, someone's life right there. Wow. Yeah. Would you say tongues is also a, mm-hmm. a physical, what you, what you physical mean? representation of a spiritual reality. Yes. Oh, absolutely. It's, you know, we're born again and, you know, we're, we're giving, we're given new languages as, you know, like almost like a baby. We're learning how to talk again, but in a new, a new language. Yeah. You know, this is, uh, we're in the Christmas season, most wonderful time of the year. Would you say that Jesus, the birth of our Lord, was a physical representation of a spiritual reality? Yeah. Yeah, the express image of the invisible God. Mm-hmm. He was he was God uh God's physical representation to the world. Um I've been reading about uh, or just reading the opening paragraph of Hebrews chapter one lately. And, um, that, that phrase in the KJV keeps, keeps just like coming to my mind. Um, he's the express image of his person, um, is how the, how the writer of Hebrews explained it. Um, so Jesus was God revealed in flesh. You have the invisible God 
And then Jesus was the revelation of that God, showing showing the world that God, God in flesh. Um, as I think Colossians says, the image of the invisible God. So it's God's image was in Jesus. Yeah. So it's like, you know, I got my phone right here and I got a picture of me on and the kids. That's not me on and the kids. That's a image. Right. Yeah. Now I, so I manifested as a phone. Yeah. <laughs> but the tough thing is, is that that is really you, but it's a different manifestation. Um, so it, it, Jesus was really God. All of who God was, was in Jesus, but in human form. It pretty quickly, when you get into this, you lose track of being able to understand and really express with words very quickly. But, um, oh, I'm sure the Bible just gives us little phrases. It's, it's amazing. He just gives us enough mm-hmm. to understand image of the invisible God. And in some way we are also the image of the invisible God. Mm-hmm. He puts his image in our hearts. Um, yeah. Well, I think, uh, you know, God manifested in many ways. Jesus was totally different. You know, God manifested to Adam in cool, cool air, probably early in the morning manifested, um, I guess to Cain in a voice of anger to Noah in a voice of warning. Uh, then to Moses, it was a bush on fire, but none of those things, uh, were like permanent. Mm -hmm. You know, God didn't become a bush. He just manifested as a bush. So Jesus is the manifestation and almighty God manifested into the flesh. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot hangs on that word manifest. Um, a lot. It seems like in my study, um, that seems to be the dividing line between a Trinitarian understanding of Jesus and a oneness uh, understanding of Jesus is the word manifestation versus the word person. Mm. Um, it seems like that's the hinge where it, because in some way we recognize in the scriptures, especially the new Testament, there's God as, as father and as son and as Holy spirit. And our interpretation of these things is that God is supremely one, but has manifested in different ways, revealed himself in different ways. Um, the, a Trinitarian understanding would say those are different persons of God. Mm-hmm. They they focus the Trinitarian understanding tries to say how one God can be three. That's what they emphasize. How one can be three. Oneness emphasizes how three can be one. Not three persons, but three manifestations can be one. We supremely argue for the oneness of it, not the threeness of mm-hmm. it all. Um, so yeah, it the God manifested is is of utmost. Um, importance and what part and and how God manifested a Trinitarian understanding is that God, the son, the eternal son manifests in the flesh, not God, the father, mm-hmm. but we would believe not God. The Holy spirit did not manifest in the flesh. God, the father didn't manifest yeah. in the flesh. God, the son. Yeah. The, manifested the, the eternal flesh. son. But we would say that it was the almighty God, you know, the father in flesh as son. Yes. Yeah, 
And going back to that passage in Hebrews, there's when it says, um, God spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets in the last days spoken unto us by his son. Mm-hmm. Uh, in KJV, um, I'm not sure about the KJV, but whenever it italicizes a word, it means that it's not in the original. Right. And so his is italicized because in the Greek, it doesn't say his, it's just like has, um, has spoken to us by son. And it seems like, Whoa. Yeah. Spoken us by son. I, I heard one of my professors at college give this teaching and the, the Greek it's, it's, it's almost like sonness. He came to us as a son. Um, uh, like the essence of being a son. And so he spoke to us by sonness. He became a son. Um, I think obviously to atone for our sins ultimately, but I think also to teach us how to be a son. He, he was, he was showing us the, the path of righteousness as a son and showed us how to be, how to be a son, how to, and how to be a child of God himself, which is the ultimate reversal of things. It's that God himself taught us how to be a son. Yeah. So like whatever relationship Jesus had with the father, we're supposed to have that relationship with Jesus. Yeah. And I've heard that teaching about why did Jesus pray? Um, you know, cause he was God. Why is he praying? Well, as a man, we would be surprised if he didn't pray. This is a better question. Cause if he was fully man, as we believe and fully God, then he was showing us as, as human, how to pray. Um, and, and so we follow that example. I think that's why, I think that's why, um, you know, his, uh, his baptism, obviously it was to start out his priestly ministry, but I believe he was showing us the way of righteousness. Um, mm. everything Jesus did was he did as a son to show us how to, how to be a son because, um, you know, everything he did on this life save obviously, you know, miraculous powers, from himself of course we can pray for people to be healed and all that to cast out demons pray for people raised from the dead but the power doesn't come from ourselves but everything jesus did you know is available to us today because we have the same power living inside of us um yeah that's good the justin c gleason podcast is available on apple podcast spotify and more press follow and become a loyal listener give a five-star rating and write a great review. You can also get more content from me at the Life Church KC podcast. You're here to listen, and I'm here to talk. Yeah, so like right now, we're recording you and me face to face. And whoever is listening to this is listening to Justin Gleason and Caleb Gleason. But they're not listening to our actual voice. We're recording. We're manifesting through a through digital audio. Mm-hmm. You know, that doesn't mean we cease to exist as real humans with real voices. We just manifested in the form of podcast. Yeah. Do you view it that way? Yeah. I don't think did God leave heaven to come to earth? That's an interesting theological question. I've heard it taught. Um, if you think of the light that 
like if you think of if you're in a dark cave like if you go to branson missouri and you go to the caves down there i've been down there you know if they turn off the lights they're pretty cool yeah it's cool they're huge if you turn off the lights there's no light anywhere so the 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 metaphor is or the illustration is um you know if you're in a dark cave there's no light and you light a match just one single match the light from that match will you know spread far sure but the match is somewhere in that person's hand and it seems like before jesus the match was in heaven god was there and it touched the rest of the world it seems like the match came in the man jesus and Hmm. so the light the match was in jesus but it could still touch you know the rest of the world um the, yeah, the phrase "left heaven" is is interesting. Um, I don't think God left heaven. I don't think God leaves anything. He's yeah. always there. Yeah. Uh, I think all of God was in Jesus, but could Jesus have been all in God? You know, where Jesus was, God was still in heaven. God was, you know, when He was born in Bethlehem, God was still in Nazareth. His spirit was. Right. God was here in America. Yeah. You know? I mean, he was everywhere. Yeah. And and that's, and I, I agree, and that's why at the baptism you heard the voice from heaven because God was everywhere and you saw the, the spirit like a dove. Mm-hmm. Um, God's here in this room right now. Yeah. He's wherever people are listening. And that God manifested into the man, Jesus Christ. Yeah, became the express image of his glory. It's the part of God we see. It's the part of God that is tangible. Yeah, the brightness of his glory. Brightness of his glory. Did angels see God before Jesus manifest? Before God manifested in the man Jesus Christ? That's a question I still don't have an answer to. Hmm. I don't know. Because I've wondered, could they look upon him? I know they cover their face with their wings, but now that Jesus is there, can they look upon God? Hmm. Yeah. I'm going to have know. to come back to that. <laughs> yeah, do some study on it. Yeah. Something I've been thinking about is um, just talking about Jesus, God as man. Um, there's like a, a, um, a cadence that I've heard in maybe preaching or just uh, maybe I've read it, but it's the idea that, you know, as a man, Jesus slept and as a man, Jesus ate, but as God, he forgave sins as God, he walked on water and that's profound teaching. But what if, what if you take that and reverse it and see the true glory is that as God, he slept as God, he ate. As God, he had human needs. And then as man, he forgave sin. As a man, he walked on water. I like that. Because he was fully God and fully man. You know, he was both at the at the exact same time. Um, and so I think that's where the true glory is, is that a, a, our God is a baby in a manger. That's God. Our God is asleep on the boat <laughs> while the disciples are you know, traveling, our God is, and that's, that's the glory for me. And, and, and Pat in the past that's offended people 
that's a stumbling block to people. How could your God, you know, in some way God was, was dying on it on the cross. You know, it's not, it's not theologically, yeah. theologically sound to say that God died. You say the man Christ died, but in some way our God was, was dying on a cross. And again, that's offensive to other, you know, ways of thinking sensibilities, but to us, that's the glory that in the great reversal of all things, our God triumphed through dying as a man. Mm-hmm. And it's just amazing. Mm-hmm. And being born. God was born. Yeah. Yeah. Let me ask you about this. Coming back to this uh, physical representation of a spiritual reality. I was texting uh, Chris Frank. You know him, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, he's got a good Bible mind. Mm. He was talking about Jacob when he stretched out his hands to bless Ephraim and Manasseh. Uh, Manasseh was the older I believe Ephraim was the no wait Manasseh Manasseh was the uh, Ephraim was the first, was the oldest Manasseh was the second and J- uh, Joseph puts Ephraim on his father's right side so he would put his right hand on the eldest to bless him the right of the firstborn but Manasseh he put on the left so the Jacob would bless uh, secondly the left but he crossed his hands yeah. and put the right hand blessing upon the second and put the uh, second on the first. And he saw this, that it was God's way of showing, it was a prophetic foreshadowing that he would approve of the second man over the first. Mm. The second Adam. The second Adam. Mm. So I thought yeah. that was pretty cool. He didn't give he didn't give the blessing to the firstborn, but it was well. He lost it. Yeah, he lost it. Yeah, you know, and yeah, yeah. It's kind of like a Jacob and Esau. Yeah, it's thing. a it's a type. Yeah, yeah. I think that's exactly what I think it is. It's a it's a typology of the second, and there will never be another. Mm-hmm. There will never be another. God will never again manifest, or he'll never be born again. He'll never be manifest in any other thing other than the man, Jesus Christ. Yeah. And um, something I've been thinking about is, you know, Jesus, where is it in Revelation that it talks about, um, I think it's 19, that Jesus appears riding on a white horse, and it, it says he has a new name, which no one knows. Um, interesting. Yeah. Well, right now Jesus is our savior, you know, the name Jesus, Jehovah salvation. Um, it's what it means. And I think in heaven, Jesus is going to have a new purpose and identity because he won't be our savior anymore. He, we will already have been saved and he's going to have a new name because Will everybody that had been that's going to be saved will have been saved? It's a new, um, you know, uh, I don't know what the right word is, but a new identity maybe of God. We'll see Him in a different way maybe than than our Savior because we've already been saved. Right now we're we have been saved, but we also haven't yet. The already and not yet. Um, you know, we haven't totally been 
been saved. Well, in, in some way we've been saved, but also we haven't been saved yet because we're still on this side of glory, that tension. But we'll be on the other side and there'll be a new name that's written um, on, on given to him that we don't even know. Yeah, I've wondered. It's been a long time since I've thought of that. But I've wondered that. What is that new name that Messiah will be known by? Mm-hmm. The prophets might have revealed it. Yeah, we can only imagine. Yeah, we're going to be kings and priests with him. What we so serving him as kings and priests. Yeah, who knows? It'll be new. It yeah. won't be an old name. Yeah, he won't go by like El Shaddai, which is what Abraham would have called him. Hmm. Yeah, something I've been um, or Elohim. So Adonai, what? What do you say for the Old Testament name of God? What's your go-to? Like, what do you say? Um, Lord. Yeah. In the in the academic world, all the Bible nerds, what I call them, uh, they say Yahweh. But I don't know. That's just, I don't really like that. I like, I like the classic KJV Jehovah. Jehovah? Is what I like. I know it's an Anglic- anglicized way of saying you know, the Tetragrammaton, Y-H-W-H, Yod, Hey, Vav, Hey, because it doesn't have vowels. We don't exactly know how to say it. And so the KJV just said Jehovah. But they're saying Yahweh is more proper. But I don't know. I just, I don't like that. I don't like Yahweh. I like Jehovah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't, I, I used to really get into that Hebrew and Greek stuff. And sometimes I do a little bit. But I, I found I I would study for hours and get up and preach it and it'd be like nothing. <laughs> yeah. And I found yeah, Hebrew and Greek is great, but if you really want to do something, use English. Right. And I think a lot of the Yahweh users are trying to appear to be brilliant. <laughs> and they're not. They can't even say Bakartov, which is good morning yeah. in Hebrew. Trying you to know. find the pure form of uh, yeah. Hebrew yod Vahe, the Tetragrammaton, the best um, explanations of that language was there was no vowels. It was They used breath for vowels. Yachvach. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it was. Yachvach. Yeah. Yeah. There was no... Vowels were introduced later as, as uh, vowel-using language-speaking pe- people intermingled throughout the Semitic territories. So, uh, yeah, a lot of those Semitic languages, like Aramaic, didn't really use vowels either. Hmm. But the the Greeks, the Romans, a lot of vowel sounds. Well, English, our, our language would have been archaic, in an archaic form in the time of Christ. Yeah. I yeah. just took my uh, first Greek class I don't know why I put it off to my last year, but I took took Greek and um, I see it as like it's like uh, Martin Luther in the 1500s. He said that the Bible languages are the sheath that houses the sword. Um, it's not the sword itself, but it's God's word. Obviously, is the sheath. Is, is the sword, but it's the sheath. And so, you know, you don't want to just have your sword. You know just tuck like stick it in your shirt or stick it in your pants but it's you know you want to have a a sheath to to house it in and to hold it and you know you can um 
unleash it and, and use the sword. So that kind of helped me frame because it's not everything, you know, I don't personally believe you need to know, you know, the original languages back and forth to be a Bible preacher, but have some kind of understanding. Um, you know, certainly a personal study of the word of God, you don't necessarily need it to understand God's word. Um, but I think it's, I think it's, it's not nothing, obviously it's a, it's a sheath to house the sword. It's kind of like, I think, you know, this, I think theology in general is like a skeleton for the human body. It, it, it's what holds it all together, but it shouldn't be, you're not supposed to see it. If you see it, something's wrong, <laughs> but like, you know, cause there's nothing worse than being boring and just like, you know, bringing up things that are, that are reserved for the realm of ideas in the academic world. But our job is to flesh out the word is to sure. manifest the word and give it, give it flesh and give it life, not give it life, but reveal the light and the life in it, the words of Jesus. So all that stuff to me is just a skeleton that upholds your, 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 you know, the body of whatever ministry you have, you need it. You need to have a good skeleton without it. You'll collapse, but it it seems like it should just be the thing that upholds the structure. Yeah, absolutely. I don't really say Yahweh. Yeah, I don't. I don't like it. It's cringe to me. Yahweh. Well, yeah. Try not to get offended. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if we're singing a song and it's in there, I'll say it. That and Jehovah. Yeah, I like Jehovah. Jehovah God. It just. I don't. Jehovah God. I just. It reminds me of just old time preachers. They. I would just always hear Jehovah, and I loved it growing up. Yeah. The closest, from what I've studied, it's not Yahweh, it's Yakfa. Mm, yeah, because of the no vowels. Well, a short A sound. Wait, A-E-I-O-U, eh, eh, I, ah, ah, Yakfa. Eh, eh, I, ah, ah, Yakfa. So it's a U sound, a sh- an English short-sounding U, Yakfa. Or they probably use their uh, breath, that guttural sound. A ruach. The, yeah. Ruach. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, what the, that's what they would have done. But yeah, Jesus. Uh, I think the uh, one of the things about Pentecost that has become so, well, we've been around now for like mainstream in America over 100 years. A rich history, great. Started from nothing. Now, I don't even think we're at our fullness yet. Not even close. But we brought the real Jesus to real people. It's as if he's alive, doing the real things that he's always done. Mm-hmm. And the worship of Jesus produces results. There was a um, whenever the Pentecostal movement uh, was spreading pretty large. Um, there was a, an academic that he wrote this book arguing that the reason that Pentecost spread was because it, it spoke to the down and out of society, just like how Christianity, when it first came around, most of the people that followed Christianity were like slaves and poor people because 
you know, they, they were, had no other options and it, it spoke to them. And when Pentecost first came around, that's what it attracted, um, was just the down and out society. There was no, you know, upper echelon elite Pentecostals during the beginnings. It was just down and out, you know, um, people. And over time, obviously we grew and gained influence and all that. But, um, there was a critique that that's the reason why Pentecost spread. I don't know what this guy's background was, but it was just because it, it spoke to the to the down and out of society because it brought them into another world where they could escape their their problems. And it was it was a harsh critique, um, you know. In some way, that that's the appeal of the spirit is that you're taken into another world, not to escape your problems but to confront them head on with a new, you know, anointing and, and fire. Um, but it was just interesting that that was the critique was that it was because it spoke so much to the down and out that that's why it spread so rapidly. Yeah. Cause back then the rich all felt like they had need of nothing. Mm-hmm. How hard is it for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God? Camel going through the eye of a needle. Mm-hmm. Which we found out was not like a like a like a little needle and thread. It was actually a hole in uh, one of the walls of Jerusalem where the camels would go through. Mm. Yeah, they kept animals separate. They wouldn't let camels go through a sheep gate. Mm. The eye of the needle was the camel entrance, mm. so the camel had to duck down real low and get in there. So it was easier for a camel to get through there than the rich man, mm. <laughs> because the riches made it blinded them. To their need for God, mm-hmm. they think you know I, I fare sumptuously. I don't. I have no need of Him because all of us as humans, this is something God's been dealing with me about. We all. And I was just talking. I was in a group setting, and everybody was trying to not one up each other, but we were all trying to prop ourselves up. You know, that we were something. You know that we had success that things were going good and they were but you get in front of god you realize you're nothing nothing <laughs> you know you're like the hebrews would say a schmuck yeah a putz a schmendrick yeah <laughs> that's what you are in front of him and uh, the poor can see that mhm they could see just how great he really is because of their humility. That's when God reaches down. It's not that God, you know, hates the rich. He's, you know, hates, you know, down on the rich and up with the poor. It's he looks for a humble heart. Mm-hmm. I think about when John saw the vision and he fell at, uh, oh, it was the angel or whoever. He fell at the feet as though dead, and then he got picked up. And I think that's the. I was reading somebody who wrote about that passage and they were saying what better place to be than falling before God as though dead, you know, dead to yourself, Mm -hmm. realizing that you were nothing. Mm -hmm. Um, I think about when Jesus was before Pilate and um, I believe it's in John's gospel. Maybe he says, uh, you can do nothing unless I allow you to Mm -hmm. paraphrasing. Mm -hmm. And of course that's, in the negative, but I think it applies that we're, 
we're like Pilate. We're just, uh, we have no authority that Jesus doesn't give us. And we should fall at his feet as though dead, realizing that we are nothing without without him. Mm-hmm. And Pilate, it seemed like he wanted to offer him some kind of asylum. Some type of political protection. Which was unusual because Pilate was bloodthirsty and ruthless. Mm-hmm. He mingled Galilean blood with his sacrifices, probably to Zeus, which Jesus talked about, Gospel of Luke. Mm-hmm. I don't know what all was going on there. He could sense the the uh, the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin's envy, and he, who knows, probably liked it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the the phrase that Pilate said always resounds in my mind is because um, it's so relevant to today. Is whenever. Uh, I can't remember Jesus's exact quote, but he talks about himself being the truth. And Pilate says, what is truth? Kind of uh, apathetically or what is truth? You know, and I think that's our, you know, the world, the world's response to Jesus. What is truth? You know, who who can really know what truth is? It's not hostility towards, towards God, but it's just, a shoulder shrug. What is truth towards the claims of God? Mm-hmm. Well, he was looking at it. Yeah. Right then and there. Yeah, Jesus intrigued him. He preached things that were totally different to other Jews of his day that had Messiah complexes. You know, all of the ones that tried to, to lead a group to rebel against the Romans taught do not pay taxes. You know, do not give them anything. Mm. Fight back. But to Jesus, it was no, pay your taxes. Render to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. If they smite you on the cheek, respect their authority and offer the other. If they want your cloak, give them, <laughs> give them your tunic also. Yeah. Go two miles. Carry the, yeah. All of those things like that, they were, they were foreign, but Jesus was the picture of what God is and wanted us to be. So, and that's the Christmas season to, it's, it's good from time to time to think about God as a baby. Hmm. To think about him as a baby. You know, something I thought about a few Christmases ago that Jesus was not born in the city, but on the outside because there was no room. That's always where you find Jesus at night. Nobody ever extended any hospitality to him in Jerusalem. He was always sleeping on the outside. Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I think that's uh, a story for Christmas and a pull on everybody. Will you make room for him? Yeah. Prepare him room. Yeah. Christmas song says. What I um. What I had seen just in thinking about God, Jesus as a baby, as human. Um, I was reading First uh, Timothy three sixteen, or three fifteen and sixteen. I was studying First um, Timothy three fifteen talks about um, he, he's giving Timothy some ex- instructions. Paul is, and he says um, he's talking about the church of the living God, 
which is the pillar and foundation of truth. But in the Greek, it, we don't exactly know what, if the pillar and foundation of truth, that phrase is applying to the church of the living God or to the following phrase. And so nah. I was kind of like, just, okay, because different thinkers on that I read said different things. And so I, I texted one of my professors and he said he thinks it applies to the following phrase that the pillar, this is the pillar and foundation of truth. And so I went to the next verse. The next verse is a classic oneness verse. Uh, Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. Um, so whatever the pillar or foundation of truth represents is applying to, I started to look at first Timothy three sixteen as a profound truth. And, um, so I'd always, I'd always read the first line, great is the mystery of godliness. I always read that as great is the mystery of the Godhead. Like this is the mystery of, of God, of the Godhead. But godliness is not pertaining to God's, uh, uh, like it's not explaining God's nature or, or him, but godliness is, is what pertains to us. It's a synonym is, is holiness. Okay. Is what godliness is. Um, it's becoming more like the divine yeah. godliness. So the scripture is saying great is the mystery of godliness. Okay. Mystery is not something that can't be known, but it's something that's revealed over time. You know, the mystery, yeah, yeah. the gospel is the, the Gentile thing. That was a mystery that God revealed over time. Um, it's also something that can only be understood spiritually is a mystery. Um, only if God allows you to see it with spiritual eyes through revelation are the mysteries in the scripture. Um, I personally believe that God keeps some things hidden from people because you know, the principle of do not give what is holy to the dogs, do not cast your pearls before swine. I think he chooses to reveal some things and not some things to other people. <clears throat> um, but so great is the mystery, something that's to be revealed about of godliness, of how to be like the divine. And then you'd expect if he's giving teaching on how to be like the divine, he would give some principles. Okay, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. What does he say? It says, God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, believed on the world, preached among the Gentiles, received up in glory. Okay, so that first line, God was manifest in the flesh. That's the mystery of godliness. So how, do, how does that work? How is God being manifest in the flesh the mystery of godliness? And I think, personally, it's speaking to the gospel, you know, what Jesus came to do, and that's what makes us like him if we respond in faith. Wow. But I also believe that his life on earth is what leads us to godliness, is what he did while he was here. That's the mystery to be revealed is, is, is looking unto Jesus and letting that um, you know, cleanse our souls and, <coughs> and help us to be more like him. It's the mystery of godliness is God was manifest in the flesh looking to his life. Um. And it's, it's just, it brought a whole new, the last two years, like I've been focusing on one verse on the man, on God in human form. Last year, it was all about, um, Philippians two, um, who being in very nature, God did not think equality with God, something to be, um, 
I don't even remember the word, but he took the form of a bond servant, come in the likeness of men. Mm-hmm. God, that was like all last Christmas. I, re- I was thinking about that, but this Christmas, I've been thinking about that. The mystery of godliness is God manifest in the flesh. And that's a, a uniquely oneness power because it's literally it was God. Yeah. Yeah. So Mary didn't have triplets. Yeah. <laughs> it, was all, it was all one man, right? So uh, you've been making some pretty nice looking reels. <laughs> Something you started this year. Yeah. Now your first one, you're blasting Mark Driscoll. <laughs> I had, I talked to so many, so I live in, you know, youth ministry. I just, that's, I talked to so many, specifically teenagers, and they would tell me, yeah, I was scrolling TikTok or Reels the other day, and this guy on there was saying this, what do you think about that? And most of the time it was like not, some some Bible guy, something, some, talking about some of the Bible. And they were, you know, believing this whatever they were watching was filling their minds and they were you know believing this i'm like man i want to to you know i want uh, somebody younger to be scrolling and to see a video that speaks to their faith specifically you know speaks to their helps their faith and speaks because they know if it's somebody they can trust knowing that they represent their own personal faith specifically the oneness and I was like, what an opportunity to, to do that. Um, and I, I've enjoyed it. Um, I'm, I'm kind of like a, I'm not an arguer, but I enjoy making points and defending it, mm-hmm. making an argument. Um, I really enjoy that. And I've, I've been able to do that. Seeing other videos that people have posted about Pentecostal church, one is Pentecostal church and just like saying, no, this is not true. Cause I see a lot of just lies and, and, misrepresentations of us out there and so i just i got tired of it i'm like i'm gonna respond to that i've got like a a a file of videos i want to just respond to there's so many out there attacks on the oneness church and it just frustrates me it is frustrating you know mark driscoll spewed a lot of hate towards the upc he did when i was a youth pastor when he had his mars hill church and that was during the emergent church era. I don't know if Driscoll claimed to be emergent, but he, you know, he was trendy, cool in his own way. Uh, but he, yeah, spewed a lot of hate for the UPC. And I remember looking at him while he was spewing hate. And he did it on the Elephant Room. That was a conversation he had with yeah, T.D. Jakes. Yeah, I've seen that. He came in to grill T.D. Jakes, try to back him up in a corner. But you're not backing T.D. Jakes up in a corner. Not a chance. Now, if he was sitting here with us, he'd be all for the oneness. You know, in a room with a bunch of Trinitarians, he'll use their familiar language to cover up the oneness. Mm-hmm. By the end of it, Driscoll's shaking T.D. Jakes's hand has him. You know, is fully convinced he's a Trinitarian. <laughs> well, he's not. <laughs> he's not. Yeah. That was weird, but he really ripped on the UPC. Now, Jake's didn't. Mm-hmm. Jake's uh, knows we have a power, but Driscoll did. It went too long after that. Uh, yeah, he got canned. So, yeah, he left that church. I guess that church, there's nothing there. Yeah, they became individual congregations. So now he's redone a church somewhere in Arizona and that first still, but I, I haven't heard him spew hate yet for the UPC since that or has he well that video that I did that was recent that was like a couple months ago that he did that okay he was saying 
uh, where a cult and, but all of his arguments, none of it was based in any kind of reality. It was just kind of write-offs. Um, and it was a pointed and direct, you know, attack on us, which I think that's an interesting form of preaching too. Like why, why are you making your, your sermon about directed attacks against different yeah he hates on a lot of people yeah he's, he's he spews hate he's angry he is angry yes have you seen that clip when he was uh it was it was when he was still in seattle and he was like yelling at the men in his church i actually liked that it was kind of cool yeah <laughs> how dare you yeah. shame on you well, he probably had men that were beating their wives, abusing their kids. He had enough. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. You know, I may have done that once or twice. Yeah. <laughs> and it didn't work. <laughs> Righteous indignation. Righteous indignation. No, it didn't It didn't work, but well, your Instagram reels, they're really good. Thank you. Keep making them happen. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. And awesome. I have people tell me, oh, they learned something, and that's that's what I that's what I want. It's important. Yeah, we need to make stuff. Bishop Bernard said a few general conferences ago, it's time for us to come from out from behind the curtain. We got a message. I like that. Yeah. You see this notebook, that black one right there? Yeah. That's uh that was the birthing place of this podcast. Mm. <laughs> Started writing down a bunch of ideas. Mm. Yeah, in there is uh, keep God in your pod. You're here to listen. I'm here to talk. Yeah. <laughs> Stop going all the way with your girlfriend. Go all the way with God. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, all those are in there. So I, I, that's great. It's a nice journal. It's got you know, it's, it's cool. But you know, only a few people are ever going to see that. So yeah, if you got something to say, get out there and say it. Manifest the word. Manifest the word. Yeah. Just like God did with Jesus, He couldn't stay up in heaven. He had to manifest it at a good time. And right now, we're at a good time to... We're at a good time. ...create content. Sure are. All right. I love you, brother. Love you. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. All right. Let's get out of here. (laughs)